section twenty three of shirley by charlotte bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain an evening out one fine summer day that caroline had spent entirely alone her uncle being at winbury and whose long bright noiseless breezeless cloudless hours how many they seemed since sunrise had been to her as desolate as if they had gone over her head in the shadowless and trackless wastes of sahara instead of in the blooming garden of an english home she was sitting in the alcove her task of work on her knee her fingers assiduously plying the needle her eyes following and regulating their movements her brain working restlessly when fanny came to the door looked round over the lawn and borders and not seeing her whom she sought called out miss caroline a low voice answered fanny it issued from the alcove and thither fanny hastened a note in her hand which she delivered to fingers that hardly seemed to have nerve to hold it miss hellstone did not ask whence it came and she did not look at it she let it drop amongst the folds of her work joe scott's son harry brought it said fanny the girl was no enchantress and knew no magic spell yet what she said took almost magical effect on her young mistress she lifted her head with the quick motion of revived sensation she shot not a languid but a lifelike questioning glance at fanny harry scott who sent him he came from the hollow the dropped note was snatched up eagerly the seal was broken it was read in two seconds an affectionate billet from hortense informing her young cousin that she was returned from wormwood wells that she was alone to-day as robert was gone to winbury market that nothing would give her greater pleasure than to have caroline's company to tea and the good lady added she was quite sure such a change would be most acceptable and beneficial to caroline who must be sadly at a loss both for safe guidance and improving society since the misunderstanding between robert and mr hellstone had occasioned a separation from her milieu ami hortense gerard moore in a postscript she was urged to put on her bonnet and run down directly caroline did not need the injunction glad was she to lay by the brown holland child's slip she was trimming with braid for the jew's basket to hasten upstairs cover her curls with her straw bonnet and throw round her shoulders the black silk scarf whose simple drapery suited as well her shape as its dark hue set off the purity of her dress and the fairness of her face glad was she to escape for a few hours the solitude the sadness the nightmare of her life glad to run down the green lane sloping to the hollow to scent the fragrance of hedge flowers sweeter than the perfume of moss rose or lily true she knew robert was not at the cottage but it was delight to go where 
he had lately been so long so totally separated from him merely to see his home to enter the room where he had that morning sat felt like a reunion as such it revived her and then illusion was again following her in peri mask the soft agitation of wings caressed her cheek and the air breathing from the blue summer sky bore a voice which whispered robert may come home while you are in his house and then at least you may look in his face at least you may give him your hand perhaps for a minute you may sit beside him silence was her austere response but she loved the comforter and the consolation miss moore probably caught from the window the gleam and flutter of caroline's white attire through the branchy garden shrubs for she advanced from the cottage porch to meet her straight unbending phlegmatic as usual she came on no haste or ecstasy was ever permitted to disorder the dignity of her movements but she smiled well pleased to mark the delight of her pupil to feel her kiss and the gentle genial strain of her embrace she led her tenderly in half deceived and wholly flattered half deceived had it not been so she would in all probability have put her to the wicket and shut her out had she known clearly to whose account the chief share of this childlike joy was to be placed hortense would most likely have felt both shocked and incensed sisters do not like young ladies to fall in love with their brothers it seems if not presumptuous silly weak a delusion an absurd mistake they do not love these gentlemen whatever sisterly affection they may cherish towards them and that others should repels them with a sense of crude romance the first movement in short excited by such discovery as with many parents on finding their children to be in love is one of mixed impatience and contempt reason if they be rational people corrects the false feeling in time but if they be irrational it is never corrected and the daughter or sister-in-law is disliked to the end you would expect to find me alone from what i said in my note observed miss moore as she conducted caroline towards the parlour but it was written this morning since dinner company has come in and opening the door she made visible an ample spread of crimson skirts overflowing the elbow chair at the fireside and above them presiding with dignity a cap more awful than a crown that cab had never come to the cottage under a bonnet no it had been brought in a vast bag or rather a middle-sized balloon of black silk held wide with whalebone the screed or frill of the cap stood a quarter of a yard broad round the face of the wearer the ribbon flourishing in puffs and bows about the head was of the sort called love ribbon there was a good deal of it i may say a very great deal mrs york wore the cap it became her she wore the gown also it suited her no less that great lady was come in a friendly way to take tea with miss moore it was almost as great and as rare a favour as if the queen 
were to go uninvited to share potluck with one of her subjects a higher mark of distinction she could not show she who in general scorned visiting and tea-drinking and held cheap and stigmatized as gossips every maid and matron of the vicinage there was no mistake however miss moore was a favorite with her she had evinced the fact more than once evinced it by stopping to speak to her in the churchyard on sundays by inviting her almost hospitably to come to briarmains evinced it to-day by the grand condescension of a personal visit her reasons for the preference as assigned by herself were that miss moore was a woman of steady deportment without the least levity of conversation or carriage also that being a foreigner she must feel the want of a friend to countenance her she might have added that her plain aspect homely precise dress and phlegmatic unattractive manner were to her so many additional recommendations it is certain at least that ladies remarkable for the opposite qualities of beauty lively bearing and elegant taste and attire were not often favoured with her approbation whatever gentlemen are apt to admire in women mrs york condemned and what they overlooked or despised she patronised caroline advanced to the mighty matron with some sense of diffidence she knew little of mrs york and as a parson's niece was doubtful what sort of a reception she might get she got a very cool one and was glad to hide her discomfiture by turning away to take off her bonnet nor upon sitting down was she displeased to be immediately accosted by a little personage in a blue frock and sash who started up like some fairy from the side of the great dame's chair where she had been sitting on a footstool screened from view by the folds of the wide red gown and running to miss hellstone unceremoniously threw her arms round her neck and demanded a kiss my mother is not civil to you said the petitioner as she received and repaid a smiling salute and rose there takes no notice of you it is their way if instead of you a white angel with a crown of stars had come into the room mother would nod stiffly and rose never lift her head at all but i will be your friend i've always liked you jessie curb that tongue of yours and repress your forwardness said mrs york but mother you are so frozen expostulated jessie miss hellstone has never done you any harm why can't you be kind to her you sit so stiff and look so cold and speak so dry what for that's just the fashion in which you treat miss shirley keeldar and every other young lady who comes to our house and rose there is such an ought ought i have forgotten the word but it means a machine in the shape of a human being however between you you will drive every soul away from briarmains martin often says so i am an automaton good let me alone then said rose speaking from a corner where she was sitting on the carpet at the foot of a bookcase with a volume spread open on her knee miss hellstone how do you do she added directing a brief glance to the person addressed and then again casting down her grey remarkable eyes on the book and returning to the study of its pages caroline stole a quiet gaze towards her dwelling on her young absorbed countenance 
and observing a certain unconscious movement of the mouth as she read a movement full of character caroline had tact and she had fine instinct she felt that rose yorke was a peculiar child one of the unique she knew how to treat her approaching quietly she knelt on the carpet at her side and looked over her little shoulder at her book it was a romance of mrs radcliffe's the italian caroline read on with her making no remark presently rose showed her the attention of asking ere she turned the leaf are you ready caroline only nodded do you like it inquired rose ere long long since when i read it as a child i was wonderfully taken with it why it seemed to open with such promise such foreboding of a most strange tale to be unfolded and in reading it you feel as if you were far away from england really in italy under another sort of sky that blue sky of the south which travellers describe you are sensible of that rose it makes me long to travel miss hellstone when you are a woman perhaps you may be able to gratify your wish i mean to make a way to do so if one is not made for me i cannot live always in briarfield the whole world is not very large compared with creation i must see the outside of our own round planet at least how much of its outside first this hemisphere where we live then the other i am resolved that my life shall be a life not a black trance like the toads buried in marble nor a long slow death like yours in briarfield rectory like mine what can you mean child might you not as well be tediously dying as forever shut up in that glebe house a place that when i pass it always reminds me of a windowed grave i never see any movement about the door i never hear a sound from the wall i believe smoke never issues from the chimneys what do you do there i sew i read i learn lessons are you happy should i be happy wandering alone in strange countries as you wish to do much happier even if you did nothing but wander remember however that i shall have an object in view but if you only went on and on like some enchanted lady in a fairy tale you might be happier than now in a day's wandering you would pass many a hill wood and watercourse each perpetually altering in aspect as the sun shone out or was overcast as the weather was wet or fair dark or bright nothing changes in briarfield rectory the plaster of the parlour ceilings the paper on the walls the curtains carpets chairs are still the same is change necessary to happiness yes is it synonymous with it i don't know but i feel monotony and death to be almost the same here jessie spoke isn't she mad she asked but rose pursued caroline i fear a wanderer's life for me at least would end like that tale you are reading in disappointment vanity and vexation of spirit does the italian so end i thought so when i read it better to try all things and find all empty than to try nothing and leave your life a blank to do this is to commit the sin of him who buried his talent in a napkin despicable sluggard rose observed mrs yorke solid satisfaction is only to be realized by doing one's duty right mother and if my master's given me ten talents my duty is to trade with them and make them ten talents more 
not in the dust of household drawers shall the coin be interred i will not deposit it in a broken spouted teapot and shut it up in a china closet among tea-things i will not commit it to your work-table to be smothered in piles of woollen hose i will not prison it in the linen press to find shrouds among the sheets and least of all mother she got up from the floor least of all will i hide it in a tureen of cold potatoes to be ranged with bread butter pastry and ham on the shelves of the larder she stopped then went on mother the lord who gave each of us our talents will come home some day and will demand from all an account the teapot the old stocking foot the linen rag the willow pattern tureen will yield up their barren deposit in many a house suffer your daughters at least to put their money to the exchangers that they may be enabled at the master's coming to pay him his own with usury rose did you bring your sampler with you as i told you yes mother sit down and do a line of marking rose sat down promptly and wrought according to orders after a busy pause of ten minutes her mother asked do you think yourself oppressed now a victim no mother yet as far as i understood your tirade it was a protest against all womanly and domestic employment you misunderstood it mother i should be sorry not to learn to sew you do right to teach me and to make me work even to the mending of your brother's stockings and the making of sheets yes where's the use of ranting and spouting about it then am i to do nothing but that i will do that and then i will do more now mother i've said my say i'm twelve years old at present and not till i am sixteen will i speak again about talents for four years i bind myself an industrious apprentice to all you can teach me you see what my daughters are miss hellstone observed mrs yorke how precociously wise in their own conceits i would rather this i prefer that such as jessie's cuckoo's song while rose utters the bolder cry i will and i will not i render a reason mother besides if my cry is bold it is only heard once in a twelvemonth about each birthday the spirit moves me to deliver one oracle respecting my own instruction and management i utter it and leave it it is for you mother to listen or not i would advise all young ladies pursued mrs yorke to study the characters of such children as they chance to meet with before they marry and have any of their own to consider well how they would like the responsibility of guiding the careless the labour of persuading the stubborn the constant burden and task of training the best but with love it need not be so very difficult interposed caroline mothers love their children most dearly almost better than they love themselves fine talk very sentimental there is the rough practical part of life yet to come for you young miss a mrs york if i take a little baby into my arms any poor woman's infant for instance i feel that i love that helpless thing quite peculiarly though i am not its mother i could do almost anything for it willingly if it were delivered over entirely to my care if it were quite dependent on me you feel yes yes i dare say now you are led a great deal by your feelings and you think yourself a very sensitive personage no doubt are you aware that with all these romantic ideas you have managed to train your features into an habitually lackadaisical expression better suited to a novel heroine than to a woman who is to make her way in the real world 
by dint of common sense no i'm not at all aware of that mrs yorke look in the glass just behind you compare the face you see there with that of any early rising hard-working milkmaid my face is a pale one but it is not sentimental and most milkmaids however red and robust they may be are more stupid and less practically fitted to make their way in the world than i am i think more and more correctly than milkmaids in general do consequently where they would often for want of reflection act weakly i by dint of reflection should act judiciously oh no you would be influenced by your feelings you would be guided by impulse of course i should often be influenced by my feelings they were given me to that end whom my feelings teach me to love i must and shall love and i hope if ever i have a husband and children my feelings will induce me to love them i hope in that case all my impulses will be strong in compelling me to love caroline had a pleasure in saying this with emphasis she had a pleasure in daring to say it in mrs yorke's presence she did not care what unjust sarcasm might be hurled at her in reply she flushed not with anger but excitement when the ungenial matron answered coolly don't waste your dramatic effects that was well said it was quite fine but it is lost on two women an old wife and an old maid there should have been a disengaged gentleman present is mr robert nowhere hid behind the curtains do you think miss moore hortense who during the chief part of the conversation had been in the kitchen superintending the preparations for tea did not yet quite comprehend the drift of the discourse she answered with a puzzled air that robert was at winbury mrs yorke laughed her own peculiar short laugh straightforward miss moore said she patronizingly it is like you to understand my question so literally and answer it so simply your mind comprehends nothing of intrigue strange things might go on around you without your being the wiser you are not of the class the world calls sharp-witted these equivocal compliments did not seem to please hortense she drew herself up puckered her black eyebrows but still looked puzzled i have ever been noted for sagacity and discernment from childhood she returned for indeed on the possession of these qualities she peculiarly piqued herself you never plotted to win a husband i'll be bound pursued mrs yorke and you have not the benefit of previous experience to aid you in discovering when others plot caroline felt this kind language where the benevolent speaker intended she should feel it in her very heart she could not even parry the shafts she was defenceless for the present to answer would have been to avow that the cap fitted mrs yorke looking at her as she sat with troubled downcast eyes and cheek burning painfully and figure expressing in its bent attitude and unconscious tremor all the humiliation and chagrin she experienced felt the sufferer was fair game the strange woman had a natural antipathy to a shrinking sensitive character a nervous temperament nor was a pretty delicate and youthful face a passport to her affections it was seldom she met with all these obnoxious qualities combined in one individual still more seldom she found that individual at her mercy under circumstances in which she could crush her well she happened this afternoon to be specially bilious and morose as much disposed to gore as any vicious mother of the herd 
lowering her large head she made a new charge your cousin hortense is an excellent sister miss hellstone such ladies as come to try their life's luck here at hollows cottage may by a very little clever female artifice cajole the mistress of the house and have the game all in their own hands you are fond of your cousin's society i dare say miss of which cousins oh of the ladies of course hortense is and always has been most kind to me every sister with an eligible single brother is considered most kind by her spinster friends mrs york said caroline lifting her eyes slowly their blue orbs at the same time clearing from trouble and shining steady and full while the glow of shame left her cheek and as hugh turned pale and settled mrs york may i ask what you mean to give you a lesson on the cultivation of rectitude to disgust you with craft and false sentiment do i need this lesson most young ladies of the present day need it you are quite a modern young lady morbid delicate professing to like retirement which implies i suppose that you find little worthy of your sympathies in the ordinary world the ordinary world every day honest folks are better than you think them much better than any bookish romancing chit of a girl can be who hardly ever puts her nose over her uncle the parson's garden wall consequently of whom you know nothing excuse me indeed it does not matter whether you excuse me or not you have attacked me without provocation i shall defend myself without apology of my relations with my two cousins you are ignorant in a fit of ill-humour you have attempted to poison them by gratuitous insinuations which are far more crafty and false than anything with which you can justly charge me that i happen to be pale and sometimes to look diffident is no business of yours that i am fond of books and indisposed for common gossip is still less your business that i am a romancing chit of a girl is a mere conjecture on your part i never romance to you nor to anybody you know that i am the parson's niece is not a crime though you may be narrow-minded enough to think it so you dislike me you have no just reason for disliking me therefore keep the expression of your aversion to yourself if at any time in future you evince it annoyingly i shall answer even less scrupulously than i have done now she ceased and sat in white and still excitement she had spoken in the clearest of tones neither fast nor loud but her silver accents thrilled the ear the speed of the current in her veins was just then as swift as it was viewless mrs york was not irritated at the reproof worded with a severity so simple dictated by a pride so quiet turning coolly to miss moore she said nodding her cap approvingly she has spirit in her after all always speak as honestly as you have done just now she continued and you'll do i repel a recommendation so offensive was the answer delivered in the same pure key with the same clear look i reject counsel poisoned by insinuation it is my right to speak as i think proper nothing binds me to converse as you dictate so far from always speaking as i have done just now i shall never address any one in a tone so stern or in language so harsh unless in answer to unprovoked insult 
mother you have found your match pronounced little jessie whom the scene appeared greatly to edify rose had heard the whole with an unmoved face she now said no miss hellstone is not my mother's match for she allows herself to be vexed my mother would wear her out in a few weeks surely kildar manages better mother you have never hurt miss kildar's feelings yet she wears armour under her silk dress that you cannot penetrate mrs york often complained that her children were mutinous it was strange that with all her strictness with all her strong-mindedness she could gain no command over them a look from their father had more influence with them than a lecture from her miss moore to whom the position of witness to an altercation in which she took no part was highly displeasing as being an unimportant secondary post now rallying her dignity prepared to utter a discourse which was to prove both parties in the wrong and to make it clear to each disputant that she had reason to be ashamed of herself and not to submit humbly to the superior sense of the individual then addressing her fortunately for her audience she had not harangued above ten minutes when sarah's entrance with the tea-tray called her attention first to the fact of that damsel having a gilt comb in her hair and a red necklace round her throat and secondly and subsequently to a pointed remonstrance to the duty of making tea after the meal rose restored her to good humour by bringing her guitar and asking for a song and afterwards engaging her in an intelligent and sharp cross-examination about guitar-playing and music in general jessie meantime directed her assiduities to caroline sitting on a stool at her feet she talked to her first about religion and then about politics jessie was accustomed at home to drink in a great deal of what her father said on these subjects and afterwards in company to retail with more wit and fluency than consistency or discretion his opinions antipathies and preferences she rated caroline soundly for being a member of the established church and for having an uncle a clergyman she informed her that she lived on the country and ought to work for her living honestly instead of passing a useless life and eating the bread of idleness in the shape of tithes thence jessie passed to a review of the ministry at that time in office and a consideration of its deserts she made familiar mention of the names of lord castlereagh and mr percival each of these personages she adorned with a character that might have separately suited moloch and belial she denounced the war as wholesale murder and lord wellington as a hired butcher her auditress listened with exceeding edification jessie had something of the genius of humour in her nature it was inexpressibly comic to hear her repeating her sire's denunciations in his nervous northern doric as hearty a little jacobin as ever pent a free mutinous spirit in a muslin frock and sash not malignant by nature her language was not so bitter as it was racy and the expressive little face gave a piquancy to every phrase which held a beholder's interest captive caroline chitter when she abused lord wellington but she listened delighted to a subsequent tirade against the prince regent jessie quickly read in the sparkle of her hearer's eye and the laughter hovering round her lips that at last she had hit on a topic that pleased many a time had she heard the fat adonis of fifty discussed at her father's breakfast-table and she now gave mr york's comments 
on the theme genuine as uttered by his yorkshire lips but jessie i will write about you no more this is an autumn evening wet and wild there is only one cloud in the sky but it curtains it from pole to pole the wind cannot rest it hurries sobbing over hills of sullen outline colourless with twilight and mist rain has beat all day on that church tower it rises dark from the stony enclosure of its graveyard the nettles the long grass and the tombs all drip with wet this evening reminds me too forcibly of another evening some years ago a howling raining autumn evening too when certain who had that day performed a pilgrimage to a grave new-mate in a heretic cemetery sat near a wood fire on the hearth of a foreign dwelling they were merry and social but they each knew that a gap never to be filled had been made in their circle they knew that they had lost something whose absence could never be quite atoned for so long as they lived and they knew that heavy falling rain was soaking into the wet earth which covered their lost darling and that the sad sighing gale was mourning above her buried head the fire warmed them life and friendship yet blessed them but jessie lay cold coffined solitary only the sod screening her from the storm mrs york folded up her knitting cut short the music lesson and the lecture on politics and concluded her visit to the cottage at an hour early enough to ensure her return to briar mains before the blush of sunset should quite have faded in heaven or the path up the fields have become thoroughly moist with evening dew the lady and her daughters being gone caroline felt that she also ought to resume her scarf kiss her cousin's cheek and trip away homeward if she lingered much later dusk would draw on and fanny would be put to the trouble of coming to fetch her it was both baking and ironing day at the rectory she remembered fanny would be busy still she could not quit her seat at the little parlour window from no point of view could the west look so lovely as from that lattice with the garland of jessamine round it whose white stars and green leaves seemed now but grey pencil outlines graceful in form but colourless in tint against the gold incarnadined of a summer evening against the fire-tinged blue of an august sky at eight o'clock p m caroline looked at the wicket gate beside which holly oaks spired up tall she looked at the close hedge of privet and laurel fencing in the garden her eyes longed to see something more than the shrubs before they turned from that limited prospect they longed to see a human figure of a certain mould and height pass the hedge and enter the gate a human figure she at last saw nay too frederick murgatroyd went by carrying a pail of water joe scott followed dangling on his forefinger the keys of the mill they were going to lock up mill and stables for the night and then betake themselves home so must i thought caroline as she half rose inside this is all folly heart-breaking folly she added in the first place though i should stay till dark there will be no arrival because i feel in my heart fate has written it down in to-day's page of her eternal book that i am not to have the pleasure i long for in the second place if he stepped in this moment my presence here would be a chagrin to him and the consciousness that it must be so would turn half my blood to ice his hand would perhaps be loose and chill if i put mine into it his eye would be clouded if i sought its beam i should look up for that kindling something i have seen in past days when my face or my language or my disposition had at some happy moment pleased him i should discover only darkness i had better go home 
she took her bonnet from the table where it lay and was just fastening the ribbon when hortense directing her attention to a splendid bouquet of flowers in a glass on the same table mentioned that miss kildar had sent them that morning from fieldhead and went on to comment on the guests that lady was at present entertaining on the bustling life she had lately been leading adding divers conjectures that she did not very well like it and much wonderment that a person who was so fond of her own way as the heiress did not find some means of sooner getting rid of the cortege of relatives but they say she actually will not let mr simpson and his family go she added they wanted much to return to the south last week to be ready for the reception of the only son who is expected home from a tour she insists that her cousin henry shall come and join his friends here in yorkshire i dare say she partly does it to oblige robert and myself how to oblige robert and you inquired caroline why my child you are dull don't you know you must often have heard please ma'am said sarah opening the door the preserves that you told me to boil in treacle the confiteries as you call them is all burnt to the pan les confitures elles sont brûlées à quel négligent coupable coquin de cuisinière fille insupportable and mademoiselle hastily taking from a drawer a large linen apron and tying it over her black apron rushed perdu into the kitchen whence to speak truth exhaled an order of calcined sweets rather strong than savoury the mistress and maid had been in full feud the whole day on the subject of preserving certain black cherries hard as marble sour as sloes sarah held that sugar was the only orthodox condiment to be used in that process mademoiselle maintained and proved it by the practice and experience of her mother grandmother and great-grandmother that treacle may las was infinitely preferable she had committed an imprudence in leaving sarah in charge of the preserving pan for a want of sympathy in the nature of its contents had induced a degree of carelessness in watching their confection whereof the result was dark and cindery ruin hubbub followed high upbraiding and sobs rather loud than deep or real caroline once more turning to the little mirror was shading her ringlets from her cheek to smooth them under her cottage bonnet certain that it would not only be useless but unpleasant to stay longer when on the sudden opening of the back door there fell an abrupt calm in the kitchen the tongues were checked pulled up as with bit and bridle was it was it robert he often almost always entered by the kitchen way on his return from market no it was only joe scott who having hemmed significantly thrice every hem being meant as a lofty rebuke to the squabbling womankind said now i thought i heard a crack none answered and he continued pragmatically as to maister's comed and as he'll enter through this hoyle i considered it desirable to step in and let ye know a household o women is never fit to be comed on without warning here he is walk forward sir they were playing up queerly but i think i've quieted them another person it was now audible entered joe scott proceeded with his rebukes what do you mean by being all in darkness sarah thou queen canst to-night light a candle it war sundown an hour sin he'll brack his shins again some o your pots and tables and stuff tack tent on this bacon bowl sir they've said it we are way fair as if they did it a malice to joe's observation succeeded a confused sort of pause which caroline though she was listening with both her ears could not understand it was very brief a cry broke it 
a sound of surprise followed by the sound of a kiss ejaculations but half articulate succeeded mon dieu mon dieu est-ce que je m'y entendais were the words chiefly to be distinguished et tu te portes toujours bien bon sir inquired another voice robert certainly caroline was puzzled obeying an impulse the wisdom of which she had not time to question she escaped from the little parlour by way of leaving the coast clear and running upstairs took up a position at the head of the banisters where she could make further observations ere presenting herself it was considerably past sunset now dusk filled the passage yet not such deep dusk but that she could presently see robert and hortense traverse it caroline caroline called hortense a moment afterwards venez voir mon frère strange commented miss hellstone passing strange what does this unwanted excitement about such an everyday occurrence as a return from market portend she has not lost her senses has she surely the burnt treacle has not crazed her she descended in a subdued flutter yet more was she fluttered when hortense seized her hand at the parlour door and leading her to robert who stood in bodily presence tall and dark against the one window presented her with a mixture of agitation and formality as though they had been utter strangers and this was their first mutual introduction increasing puzzle he bowed rather awkwardly and turning from her with a stranger's embarrassment he met the doubtful light from the window it fell on his face and the enigma of the dream a dream it seemed was at its height she saw visage like and unlike robert and no robert what is the matter said caroline is my sight wrong is it my cousin certainly it is your cousin asserted hortense then who was this now coming through the passage now entering the room caroline looking round met a new robert the real robert as she felt at once well said he smiling at her questioning astonished face which is which ah this is you was the answer he laughed i believe it is me and do you know who he is you never saw him before but you have heard of him she had gathered her senses now it can be only one person your brother since it is so like you my other cousin lewis clever little oedipus you would have baffled the sphinx but now see us together change places change again to confuse her lewis which is the old love now lena as if it were possible to make a mistake when you speak you should have told hortense to ask but you are not so much alike it is only your height your figure and complexion that are so similar and i am robert am i not asked the newcomer making a first effort to overcome what seemed his natural shyness caroline shook her head gently a soft expressive ray from her eye beamed on the real robert it said much she was not permitted to quit her cousin soon robert himself was peremptory in obliging her to remain glad simple and affable in her demeanour glad for this night at least in light bright spirits for the time she was too pleasant an addition to the cottage circle to be willingly parted with by any of them lewis seemed naturally rather a grave still retiring man but the caroline of this evening which was not as you know reader the caroline of every day thawed his reserve and cheered his gravity soon he sat near her and talked to her she already knew his vocation was that of tuition she learned now he had for some years been the tutor of mr simpson's son that he had been travelling with him and had accompanied him to the north she inquired if he liked his post but got a look in reply which did not invite or license further question the look woke caroline's ready sympathy she thought it a very sad expression to pass over so sensible a face as lewis's for he had a sensible face 
though not handsome she considered when seen near robert's she turned to make the comparison robert was leaning against the wall a little behind her turning over the leaves of a book of engravings and probably listening at the same time to the dialogue between her and lewis how could i think them alike she asked herself i see now it is hortense lewis resembles not robert and this was in part true he had the shorter nose and longer upper lip of his sister rather than the fine traits of his brother he had her mould of mouth and chin all less decisive accurate and clear than those of the young mill-owner his air though deliberate and reflective could scarcely be called prompt and acute you felt in sitting near and looking up at him that a slower and probably a more benignant nature than that of the elder more shed calm on your impressions robert perhaps aware that caroline's glance had wandered towards and dwelt upon him though he had neither met nor answered it put down the book of engravings and approaching took a seat at her side she resumed her conversation with lewis but while she talked to him her thoughts were elsewhere her heart beat on the side from which her face was half averted she acknowledged a steady manly kindly air in lewis but she bent before the secret power of robert to be so near him though he was silent though he did not touch so much as her scar fringe or the white hem of her dress affected her like a spell had she been obliged to speak to him only he would have quelled but at liberty to address another it excited her her discourse flowed freely it was gay playful eloquent the indulgent look and placid manner of her auditor encouraged her to ease the sober pleasure expressed by his smile drew out all that was brilliant in her nature she felt that this evening she appeared to advantage and as robert was a spectator the consciousness contented her had he been called away collapse would at once have succeeded stimulus but her enjoyment was not long to shine full-orbed a cloud soon crossed it hortense who for some time had been on the move ordering supper and was now clearing the little table of some books etc to make room for the tray called robert's attention to the glass of flowers the carmine and snow and gold of whose petals looked radiant indeed by candlelight they came from fieldhead she said intended as a gift to you no doubt we know who is the favourite there not i i'm sure it was a wonder to hear hortense jest a sign that her spirits were at high-water mark indeed we are to understand then that robert is the favourite observed lewis mon cher replied hortense robert c'est tout ce qu'il y a de plus précieux au monde à côté de lui le reste du genre humain n'est que de rebut n'est je pas raison mon enfant she added appealing to caroline caroline was obliged to reply yes and her beacon was quenched her star withdrew as she spoke et toi robert inquired lewis when you shall have an opportunity ask herself was the quiet answer whether he reddened or paled caroline did not examine she discovered that it was late and she must go home home she would go not even robert could detain her now End of section twenty three